Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 7th of April, 2014, and we are seven games in to the 2014 schedule for the Baltimore Orioles. This is episode 72. My name is Jake English, and here, as always, is Scott Magnus allowing me to ride on his coattails. Damn right. Now, if you're listening to our voices right now, you're probably finding us on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, where you can find the podcast and we also operate a blog. You may also have found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can find many great shows that cover the whole spectrum of Baltimore sports, the Orioles, the Ravens, Maryland Terps, Caps if you have to. It's a great place to go. Also worth mentioning is that we can also be found on BaseballTalkRadio.com, where you can find lots of great shows about baseball outside of the Birdosphere. If you want to get less of a provincial look of baseball, make sure you check out Baseball Talk Radio, including their new show, MLB This Week, which is a weekly roundup of everything from Major League Baseball. Now, if you want to go ahead and, and find us Outside of those sources, hey, you can go to iTunes, and we encourage you to uh, to go to iTunes, to to subscribe, to rate the show, to leave a comment. We we love that stuff. Scott, where else can they find us? Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, YouTube, plenty of places. YouTube, wait, 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 wait. That sounds like people can see our ugly mugs online. No, 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 no. We're we're smarter than that. Okay, I, I like hearing that. Yes, all of our podcasts are available on YouTube. In case for some crazy reason your work blocks everything but YouTube. In any event, you can also connect with us through social media. You, the best way to do it is Twitter, and we're at Bird's Eye View B A L. You can do it at Facebook at Facebook.com/slash/BEVcast. If you're using Google Plus, come find us. I'm not even going to bother to tell you how to do that. Also, email the show at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Now, one last thing we should mention, there's an Amazon uh, link on our website, and you can really do us a favor and help us keep the lights on here uh, by going ahead and doing your shopping through Amazon uh, by clicking on the link on our website. And Scotty, while we're talking about the website, uh, anything worth mentioning? Um, it got a little bit of a spit shine to it. That, that was nice. I'm not sure spit shine is really what I would call it. But, no, no, no. Uh, you, you saw it. It was a spit shine. Okay, a little bit. So, yeah. uh, you know, a facelift, if you will. Uh, just a, a little different look. Yeah, just change it up a little bit. You know, it's the 2014 season. We've generally been going about this aspect of introducing a new site design every season. So, you know, maybe us being a week late has uh, been the uh, entire issue uh, so far for the season. Yeah, I'll admit, I get bored easily. It's it's not. I mean, it, people. You know, the reason the Orioles are doing so poorly is because our site didn't get updated. So we we apologize. I wholeheartedly agree, and I will drink to that, Scotty. What are you drinking this week, Jake? I am drinking a Weyerbacher Heresy, which is an imperial stout aged in whiskey barrels. It's from a uh, brewing company up in Easton, Pennsylvania. Very nice. Yeah, I will say I was ready to mock you because I showed up to your house a little bit early this week, and I saw you drinking. A smiling, winking uh, beverage. And I thought to myself, really? Really? Uh, what can I say? I was having something off the grill. And for having something off the grill, a Natty Bow is pretty good. But, you know, if you're really going to enjoy a beer, you got to not drink Natty Bow. First of all, I disagree wholeheartedly. Okay. I myself am drinking a Perpetual IPA from Trogues. It's, you know what? That's better than the Goldschlager I had this weekend, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as you don't throw the Goldschlager in my beer, but that's a totally different story. Yes. 
All right. With that, I think we should jump directly into the medical wing. Scotty, what do you have for us this week? Well, the big news on the medical wing is J.J. Hardy was scratched from the lineup on Friday, Sunday, and also today. Um, he's having back spasms in different places. Um, certainly doesn't sound very encouraging. They're basically labeled him as day-to-day, but um, it definitely looks like a situation where we could be without J.J. Hardy for quite some time. Yeah, and especially with today's game, and today again being Monday, uh, the day game, the opener against the Yankees, his lack of availability was a factor at the end of that ball uh, ball game because you had situations in which the bottom of the order came up and guys like Flaherty and Scope, which, you know, maybe have some inexperience at the plate um, in a key situation, uh, didn't allow Buck to pull the strings and to use a pinch hitter. It's also a little interesting, too, because you think about go back to that Thursday night, coming off that Thursday night game, leaving Camden Yards, and then going to Detroit on Friday for a Friday afternoon game. Um, and just that like, short turnaround, it just kind of makes you wonder whether that short turnaround and the kind of Russian hubble of getting to the stadium, everything like that, maybe they had played some role on J.J. Hardy's back. Again, are they flying Aeroflat? What what planes are they on that all these injuries are happening? I don't know, but I'm thinking they need some uh, Swedish supermodels or, you know, Diana Roberts is probably not busy right now, so she, we could get her back onto that airplane. She's in New York. I'm sure she can find something to do. All right, before we go too Derek! far, Derek. Before we go too far down that line, what else have you got? Um, Manny Machado was uh, out of practice on Thursday and Sunday and Monday. He's running. He indicated he felt great, but he hasn't really done any sprinting, and there's no timeline set for when he will be doing sprinting. Don't know what to say about that. Besides, Ooh. he just felt like running. He, but he's not even sprinting. That's my big thing. Is he's running, but. Unless you're sprinting, it kind of isn't that concerning? Look, I'm not a doctor, and I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express, so I'm not gonna not gonna give an opinion. Uh, you say he was running but not sprinting. I say Mazel Tov, good for him. So you say yes, I say no. Yes. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Uh, Johan Santana did a 35 pitch session and threw a situational bullpen session with a batter today. Yeah, but he's not even sprinting. Yeah, but he's a pitcher; he doesn't need to. Oh, okay, I got it. If that was the case, Bartolo Colon wouldn't still be in the league. <laughs> Speaking of which, if anyone needs to get a good laugh, go watch the Bartolo Colon at bat against the Nationals. It was priceless. Um, you know, I, I don't really know why I'm mentioning Johan Santana. Just I think it's important to mention that you do have the possibility of having a you know solid reliever possibly coming up later in the season or even a starter in I, the rotation. I don't know why you would mention uh, another starter or pitching depth at this point in the season from yeah. what we've seen. That, that yeah. seems like it's totally crazy. Well, speaking about pitching depth, you have got Dylan Bundy, who's also throwing from a full mound. He said he's feeling great. Um, so, you know, that timeline of him being available in June is still a possibility. That seems unbelievable to me, but right now it's everything's on track. In other news and extended spring training, uh, Pergrero, Almanzar are all beginning to start rehabbing. They're kind of running around getting baseball activities. You know the funny thing about that for me? For both these two guys and Johan Santana, you see some pictures come out on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, And it's those guys at Ed Smith Stadium, which is completely empty yeah. so you see those guys uh running around doing their stuff or, or santana pitching and it's like nothing but empty seats behind him and so you just imagine it's like him and the catcher and they just showed up and it happened to be open that day right but we do have to have a moment of silence nolan ryan what we talked about last week went into the 15 day dl he's now on the 60 day dl we lay him to rest in the fields of birdland Right in center field, right where the ivy used to be. Hopefully his decaying ashes can hopefully regrow that ivy into the great, great statue that it once was. And hopefully it's like an alcoholic ivy because that'd be great in the center field bar. Yeah, I, you know, we make fun, but I, I do feel awful for Nolan Reimold. He's making a million dollars this season. Yeah, but he wants to be a ball player. He's... I want to be a ball player, too. Yeah, I want to be a ball player, too. That's why I feel bad for him. I'm not. If I was making a million dollars and I was on the DL, they're like, well, I still got a million dollars. Nah, he had a real chance to help this club. If he was a, if he was a healthy... his wife is pretty hot, too. Well, good for him. If yeah. he was a healthy Nolan Reimold... What? <laughs> I said if. This was if. If he was a healthy Nolan Reimold... That's like Reimold. saying, if it was a unicorn... Stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win you over with this argument with okay. this. Are you ready? Yeah. If we had a healthy Nolan Reimold... We wouldn't have to root for Delman Young. All right, Jake wins this argument. All right. Yeah. 
All right. With that, I, I think we we should put the medical wing to rest now that we've put Nolan Rymel to we've, rest. We've spoken way too much now. I think it's time to go to 104 AD characters and just kind of go there. I think it's time for the twat. All right. First thing I want to mention on the twat this week, uh, I think Derek Arnold from uh, from uh, ESR gets the the tweet of the week from me. And you can find Derek at uh, Be More Birds Nest again. He's a, he's a senior editor for Utah Street Report. He tweeted out in response to opening day, or no, one of the series uh, games against the Red Sox. Hey, at Orioles, you've got this premium pricing uh, thing backwards. I'd pay more not to be surrounded by mass holes. That was for the opening game. The other two games were not premium priced. They were classic priced. I could not agree with him more. Which you didn't like having to pay an additional premium? It's Well, I think that the... Don't even get me started on how I feel about premium pricing, but the fact that we have to pay more to go into a hostile territory at home... Ugh. Ugh. What else you got on the twat this week? Um, I also have a tweet from uh, Rockabotco. He, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's pretty famous. Um, this was an interesting story I thought came out. It was, oh, he's got warning from MLB regarding Tillman and pace of game. Buck checked and Tillman was on rubber waiting for Pedroia to leave on deck circle. I find it very interesting that MLB basically popped in and said, hey, Orioles, you're taking way too much time. I really want to see this you know, happen again when the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing in one of their four and a half hour games. I'm really glad you mentioned this because I think it was on, uh, I think it was on Masson, uh, MassonSports.com. It may have been Rock's blog where I think that Buck actually went back to the tape and said that when the warning came, uh, Tillman was standing on the rubber. Well, that's what Rock's tweet says. That's what I just said. Oh, okay. Waiting, yeah, thanks for paying attention. Waiting for him to come yeah. back. But I just think it's interesting that MLB was just like, whoa, Orioles, this is on you. And it's like, What? That's crazy. It, it really is. I, I remember there was a few instances during that opening game where Ortiz would fly out. And, you know, those were some deep flyouts, too. But Ortiz doesn't jog back to the thing. He just kind of walks back to the dugout. And I'm like, well, freaking run. Hey, again, this goes back to my my blog post where I said how much I hate David Ortiz. He, you know, for as, as much as we say about the Yankees and we discuss Derek Jeter, you and I argue all the time, I think Derek Jeter plays the game right. Everything that he does right, David Ortiz does wrong. That's I totally agree with you. You know, certain other people have gotten things wrong this week, too. And I'm going to come to at I hate JJ Reddick, who posted a condiment power rankings list. I'm going to go through this really quickly. He's got number one is ranch. Number two is sriracha. Number three is mayo. Number four is mustard. Number five is ketchup. Number six is guacamole. Seven is salsa. Eight is Frank's hot. Um, nine is honey mustard. And ten is relish. This can't be true. This this is like this is absolutely a horrible list. Scott, this is not a horrible list. This is a terrible, awful, no good list. First of all, no, I I don't, I don't even know where to go with this first. But I'm just going to knock Ranch right off the top of this. I mean, list. how could Ranch be number one? That's impossible. Yeah. Se- second of all, to have something like salsa that far down, I, I look. I hate JJ Reddick is a great resource to go to for Baltimore sports for lifestyle. I, when you tweet something out like this, I, I lose the credibility that your site has demanded thus far. And look, until you get your condiments together, you need to not tweet things like this. So I hate JJ Reddick. You're on notice. Ooh, that's that's ugly. Um, another thing I wanted to point out was uh, we had an instance today where an article came out regarding a hated individual in Baltimore, and it was. Jeffrey Mayer was weighing in on instant replay and the impact of Derek Jeter for the Yankees. So, so let me just let me just uh, set the set the set the scene here. Jeffrey Try to keep Ma- it together. Jeffrey Major basically said, um, "Would I want replay to to have been in place when that thing happened in 1996?" And then he came back and said, basically, "No, even though I've gotten a bunch of negative attention for it." I wouldn't want anything to change in my life. Gah. The, bleh. Yeah. I, I, I have been on record as saying that, you know, I was not a big proponent of instant replay because I think that the, the human component of the game, you know, is important. And I think it's important to keep tradition alive. And, you know, I'm the baseball purist, if you will, of the two of us, but I will say that if you're going to have a concept like replay in sports, Jeffrey freaking Mayer in the 1996 playoffs is the perfect place 
to use it. Yeah. See, the way I see this is more of, I imagine it more of the aspect of, I see like a German general all of a sudden being brought in front of the war crimes tribunal. They're like, no, the Holocaust actually was a good thing that happened. It gave us a greater respect for human life and everything like that. That's basically what I'm seeing with this article as well. It's, you know, this was a great travesty, but it was a good thing that it happened. Oh, I'm glad you brought the Holocaust. No, I'm not glad you brought the Holocaust into it. I will say that... I um, said war crimes, not the Holocaust, okay? Other people got killed. <laughs> so, one of the things that, that I've read about uh, the whole Jeffrey Mayer incident is that New Yorkers don't really care about that incident. Like, that's just like a drop in the bucket of their, you know, of glory years. Yeah. Whereas for us here in Baltimore, it's like the most agonizing thing that we had. <laughs> well, us in Baltimore also have been known to uh, hold a grudge. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right, well, that is the twat this week. Uh, again, this week on the Twitters is where we collect up all the interesting stuff that caught our eye. We're going to go ahead, uh, hang tight for more Bird's Eye View. Birdland, it was a it was a rough week to watch the Orioles this week. However, we're going to try to focus on the rotation to start our discussions this week and just kind of look at some positives that came out of it. So, I think we've got to start with Chris Tillman. And you know, Jake, you had posted something on Twitter saying the Orioles are two for Tilly or Tilly for five or four. Or yeah, something the, like that. their their record this this so so far this season is Tillman and five. Yeah, Tillman and five. That's that's that, that's excellent work, by the way. Kudos. It was the only productive thing I got done today. Yeah, well, kudos to you. Um, so quickly going through Tillman's stats. Um, opening day, five innings pitch, seven hits, one earned one, one walk, four Ks, pitched 100 pitches. All, in all honesty, you look at that and you're like, well, he basically got hit around pretty good there in terms of fouls and everything like that. And he wish you could have got, he got, got deeper into the game. I was, I was pretty critical of Tillman's first start. First of all, everybody was excited about the win. And we were there in person, so I didn't get to see the pitches up close because, you know, we had phenomenal seats in Section 324. But I was I was really kind of disappointed with how he had showed up against one of the better clubs in the league. And I also thought that he got lucky. Uh, the wind was gusting that day, and there were at least two, by my count, and it could have been more, there were at least two balls that left the bat and would have been instant home runs if the wind wasn't gusting 25 miles. It was a June or July night. It would have been gone. Oh, absolutely. I I think Tillman was incredibly fortunate. And I think to have your, your number one starter go five innings against a good club was just not enough. So I was ready to say, you know, Tillman better get his shit together before his next start. Okay. Um, that being said, though, Tillman did a good job though, of minimizing the amount of walks he gave up. He only gave up one walk. I think he had one hit by pitch, and again, he basically was able to do exactly what he was able to do last year was he was able to put people on base, but he was able to leave them on base. And the Red Sox stranded a ton of runners on base. I think it was 11 that was left on base for that game. And that's just something that Tillman thrived for. And that's one of the things that stats-wise, sabermetricians and projections have basically said there is no way that Tillman's going to be able to leave that many men on base. Mm-hmm. Last year, I think it was around 83 to 85%. You know, his typical one is going to be 75%. That was a perfect example of Tillman is able to strand runners when he needs to, along with that great defense that's out there in the field. Yeah, and getting away from the sabermetricians and going back to the guts baseball folks, that's when you say they minimize the damage. You know, they get hit around, right. they bend, they don't break. Right, right. Um, so first game, I agree, kind of got lucky. But again, I thought he has a really good pitch positioning and pitch placement. I just think the Red Sox basically did a great job of fouling off pitches, and he wasn't able to have that strike of, I'm going to put them away. And, um, y- you know, the only thing that he really couldn't get working, I didn't think, was his fastballs during that game. It seemed like his breaking balls were doing great that game, but his fastballs just didn't seem like they were enough to get by the Red Sox players. Yeah, there were a lot of get-me-over curveballs, I yeah. thought. Well, let's let's talk about his second start, because that's really, <laughs> that's really the story of the season so far, seven games in. So far, yeah. Um, Okay, so he pitched on Sunday against the Detroit Tigers. The Orioles were coming off a four-game losing streak. And Chris Tillman goes out there against Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, Jake. I know. I, I've heard of him. Yeah. 
And he goes eight and a third, has five hits, only gives a one earned run, one walk, five Ks, and one home run to Torrey Hunter. I got to tell you, Tillman was Verlander-esque on this day. Again, it comes back to he painted the corners perfectly that game. And he, when he want, he basically was in a zone that game where he's like, I'm going to throw it up to you and I'm going to make you hit it. And the Tigers had no answer for it. There was an attitude and command to his pitches where you could just tell this is a player that is in the zone and he's ready to play today. And that's why when he came out in the ninth inning, I thought it was the great call. Yes, he was at high of his pitch count, but he had that attitude when Weeders hit that ninth inning home run that he said, yeah, I want to basically go out there and, you know, finish this out. All right. Now I'm going to beat him up a little bit for this. The only thing that day that I could beat him up for, what was he doing out in the open in the dugout? If it's the ninth inning and you want to come back, hide from the manager. You need to be in the tunnel. You need to be getting something from the clubhouse. You need to be out of sight. Do not, do not leave yourself out there for Buck or or Dave Wallace to come over and have a conversation with you. I think he just ran out to the field regardless. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I tweeted this out. I said, you know, regardless of what happens in the ninth, I am in favor of him being out there. Uh, wholeheartedly agree with, with everything you said. The fact that Tillman was in command. Yeah. Of that game. And that, 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 I think that's really the difference between that game and, and just about every other game we've seen. Our starting pitcher was in command of that game from start almost to finish. And again, I don't know if it's so much the aspect of velocity. It will get is just pitch placement and vertical movement of his breaking balls were just right there. It kind of reminds me of the game that Chris Tillman came back up in 2012 and he had the breaking balls going against the athletics and Jim Palmer was watching and saying, whoa where did this where did what happened to chris tillman he looks like a completely different pitcher right now and that has slowly started to evolve into the pitcher that we know from last year and now as well absolutely um so you know we we talk about tillman um but what i really wanted to do was talk about the top of our rotation now we've seen each of our starting pitchers once but i feel like that's not really enough uh, of a chance to 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 really give everybody a fair shake. Okay, so we're going to eliminate Wee Shan, we're going to eliminate Miguel Gonzalez, and we're going to eliminate Bud Norris because we've only seen them once now. Now, again, none of them had good starts, but they, they've all only had one start. So I really just want to talk about Tillman and Abaldo Jimenez, and I, I really think that the two of them is, uh, well, it's, it's stark contrast. Now, again, I was critical of Tillman's first start, and... I'm not sure I can call myself anything other than apologetic for Jimenez's first start because I thought if you put the two against one another, even though Abaldo Jimenez gave up more runs, even though we lost that game, I thought he had a stronger first start. Yeah, in his first start, he won six innings. Um, he had five hits, four earned runs, three walks, and six strikeouts. Um, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, he's got more strikeouts and you know, two more walks there. And then the hits are really not that big of a deal compared to Tillman. But, you know, he gave up two homers there, one on Ortiz and one on Napoli. And and the thing is about those two home runs is that uh, the first one to Ortiz was not a terrible pitch. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it was a good pitch. It was in that spot inside where you try to jam David Ortiz. It's the spot where Mattis has so much success. It's textbook how you pitch to that guy. Ortiz guessed, and he guessed right, and he's a good hitter, and he hit one out. Yeah, I understand that to a certain regard. The other thing I would come back to that the pitch, though, is he threw an inside fastball to him. Jimenez has seen a significant drop-off in his fastball velocity over the past few years, and he really has improved in the 2013 season last year and basically was the pitcher that we wanted to sign based off his breaking balls and trying to reestablish that. Again, he's no longer the pitcher that he was in 2010 with the Colorado Rockies where he can throw 95 miles per hour and blow it past people. I think he just still needs to rely more on that breaking ball as opposed to basically throwing a fastball and just saying, I'm going to challenge you. Well, and I'm glad you said that because the second home run at Napoli, it was Napoli, right? The two-run home run. Yeah. That was really frustrating to me because he had Napoli at 0-2. There were two outs. And what did he do? He threw a fastball right down the middle to try to overpower him, and he couldn't. Now, are we sure it's a fastball there? Because I thought it was a breaking ball that stayed up high. Did it? I think it was a breaking ball that stayed up high. So, again, it was pitch placement there. So he threw a breaking ball. He was expecting it to be lower because I think Weeders had the glove low, and he had to come up to try to get it. But it was too late at that point. You basically left a hanging fat meatball in the middle of the plate, 
and Napoli does does what he did all last year, which was smash it. I, I thought the Napoli home run was his only real mistake. It was egregious. Do yes. not get me wrong. But you take that one two-run two egregious mistake and put it against you know, Tillman's outing. I, I, I was ready to say after the first start, Abaldo Jimenez was more impressive. Uh, then we had a second start. His yeah, second start today was um, four and two-thirds of an inning, eight hits, four earned runs, five walks, four strikeouts. That's not even good in high school ball. No. It, 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 it came back to today of... He was pitching around a lot of players. He wasn't being very decisive with his his you know strikes. He did. He got a lot of first uh, first strikes in the first two innings, and then after that point, you know, he basically blew up it through the three, four, and five innings. And again, you can take a look at his pitch counts through there, and it basically got you know super elevated for those first two innings. I thought he pitched great, and then again, he couldn't get those people. He basically put players on base, and when you put players on base, you're going to get killed eventually. Right. Well, didn't it, give up a home run though. It was his third and fourth inning that, that killed him, or maybe it was the fourth and fifth. Where I think it was he, the fourth and fifth. He yeah, had thirty-two pitches, and then what was the other one like twenty-eight or something like that? Yeah, that's about right. I mean, they they worked well. He he worked himself. You know, he allowed them to work him, and uh, again, too many walks, too many pitches. He would get to zero and two. Um, you know, it happened with Brian Roberts. He got to 0-2, and, and Brian Roberts climbed back to 3-2, and two, and that, you can't have that kind of thing happen. So I'm going to go through the pitches uh, per inning for Jimenez today. I'm going to go through the 4th and 5th, That's since that's what we're talking about. He threw 29 pitches in the 4th inning and 27 pitches in the 5th inning. 16 of those in the 4th inning were for strikes. 18 of them in the 5th inning were for strikes. That means you had a 55% and a 66% average for strikes. And again, that's an elevated pitch count. So um, not a very good um, game overall. His strikes per percentage per inning was 61, 52, 58, 55, and 66. So again, he was dancing around the strike zone a lot. And I know that's what people are going to come back and say is, yeah, he gets his strikeouts, but he also gives up his walks. Yeah, I understand that, but you, you got to be able to throw strikes. You got to trust your stuff. I know there was one comparison made on um, Orioles Hangout where people are saying he reminds them a lot of Jake Arrieta. I'm not willing to go that far yet, but I think it's something to consider. Um, we're we're still in the small sample size area of the season. You yeah. know, we're, we're we're giving the the three, four, and five guys a pass because we've only seen them on one start. I'm not saying it's time to crucify Hubaldo uh, Jimenez. I, I'm just saying you know we're paying the guy a lot of money. He's supposed to be keeping Chris Tillman company up there at the top of the rotation. He's got to pull his weight, and he hasn't done so this far so here's one question i have is okay um i was looking at his stats for ground ball percentages and last year habato jimenez basically showed an elevated ground ball percentage he was right around 45 percent last year which really helped him to get outs again if you're hitting fly balls you have the greater propensity to get line drives or home runs with ground balls you're putting on the ground and you're letting your defense do the work and with this defense that's a winning combination that does that make sense to you from a non-saver retraction absolutely standpoint? So let's go back to game number one that he pitched. Thank, thank you, by the way, for patronizing. I no really problem. appreciate yeah. that. So I'm going to go back to game one against the Red Sox. Do you know what his ground ball percentage is for game one? Not even a little bit. 6%. Six percent. Six what? Six percent. What's his ground ball percentage? Zero six percent? Like, yeah, zero six percent. Okay, not a math guy, but that doesn't sound good. That's, it sounds pretty low. And today it was 31%, which again is very low. That means the Yankees were putting much more together line drives. So here's just a thought in my head. It's cold weather right now. We all know that the breaking ball is harder to grip and get that vertical movement when it is so cold outside. Now, I'm not making excuses, but from an individual you know that has to throw the breaking ball and is relying on that right now, maybe that's causing him so much of an issue. Maybe when the ball starts to heat up and he gets a better grip of that ball, maybe the breaking ball comes back, he gets some more vertical movement, and he actually has a better control of his breaking ball too where he's able to get that first strike as well. Look, you can say that all you want, but also think about the fact that when it gets hotter, those balls are going to fly out of the park I, instead of uh, dying on the warning track. I understand that completely. I'm just giving examples of you know fly ball out versus ground balls into the dirt as well. So you're right. A fly ball, more fly balls would also indicate during the summertime of they gone. But you know, I think it's interesting the ground ball percentage are so low for the first two starts for Abaldo Jimenez. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, do you, do you have anything else to say about Jimenez? Because I, I just wanted to hit one more thing about the top of the rotation. No, go ahead. Um, Steve Molesky actually tweeted out a great uh, 
uh, fact for us uh, about six hours ago, and that is the fact that Chris Tillman has an ERA of 1.35 and two starts. In the other five games, the Orioles starters have pitched to an 8.76 ERA. That sounds worse than last year. It sounds not good. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's ugly, but that is not good. I think it's worse than last year. Look. I wonder if Freddie Garcia is available. I don't want to jump to conclusions. I think it's it's way too early. And, um, you know, Scott, if you'll allow me, I'd like to kind of move into the area of things it's too early to say today. Can you handle that? I can handle that. All right. More Bird's Eye Views on the way. All right, Scott. So I said there there's some things that I'm not willing to say at this point in the season. Things that are maybe too early. Okay, after seven games, we've officially finished just over 4% of the season. That's less than Maryland taxes. <laughs> now, one hand, it's a long season, and fans shouldn't get too high or too low over anything that we've seen thus far. But on the other hand, I mean, all you can really do is react to what you've seen. Now, there's no sense in trying to slap lipstick on a pig when you know it's a pig. We've done that during the dark period. We, those days are over. It's called Luis Matos. <laughs> right. But that having been said, there, there are a few things from the 2014 season that it, it's too early to say. And I was hoping that you and I could throw a couple of those out here. Sure. Um, I think we can go through a few of these and just basically make you know bold predictions after only a few short games. Well, let, let's, let's do it this way. Here's one thing that I think it's too early to say. Okay. Ryan Flaherty is not going to hit this season. Okay. Yeah, it's probably a little too early to say that. But, you know, you do look at historical average, and he's not a great hitter. But he's not a below 100 hitter. Sure. So sure. he's not 0 for 2014. Right, exactly. So he did hit last year. It wasn't great. But he did hit with some pop. Um, 231 career average. He's probably okay. He's, you know, if, if, if Manny Machado and J.J. Hardy were both in this lineup and – Flaherty was your number nine hitter. I don't think we'd be having this conversation right now. Yeah, Two thirty one from your n- number nine hitter is not a problem. Yeah. Also, he's a streaky guy, and, I, and I'm not trying to make excuses for him. But I think that what you can expect is that throughout the season, you're going to have you know stretches where Ryan Flaherty contributes to your offense, and you're going to have times where he disappears. That's just that's the player he is. Yeah. That's what you expect from a quadruple a second baseman absolutely and this is a guy who right now at the plate has disappeared right it just is magnified by the fact that you know the pitching isn't going great and there are some other problems with the lineup i think it's too early to say that ryan flaherty is a problem that his hitting is not going to come around right um speaking of other things that people have said zach Britton should get a start you're saying it's too early to say that Zach Britton should get a start. Absolutely. Zach Britton has been lights out in the bullpen. Well, he, except for walking a guy. Okay, he made one mistake and he walked in the guy, which that's frustrating, but it actually didn't cost us the game. Um, but Zach Britton... No, our lack of offense cost us the game. Okay, you just calm down, okay? But Zach Britton has been great. He's basically salvaged out these, you know, five-inning um, games and stuff like that. Zach Britton has that filthy, filthy 95-mile-per-hour sinker, and that's great in a bullpen aspect. But Zach Britton, when he was starting, would be okay for the first or second time through the lineup. But when he got to the third time through the lineup, it was, it's gone. So I think it's great. You know, Zach Britton may have found his place in the sun, basically, and that's, you know, in the bullpen. So he's, he's doing the Brian Mattis thing, is what you're saying. He's doing more than the Brian Mattis thing because he's not just being the loogie. He's going in there and pitching for multiple innings as well. And the other thing is that, you know, we've had some rocky patches with the bullpen, and somebody has to pitch well back there. Yeah. He's kind of doing uh, the Tommy Hunter thing when he got moved to the bullpen. Absolutely. And I, I hate to make this comparison, but early in 2005, you know, the linchpin of that bullpen, which did well when the Orioles were in first place all that time, 
was Matt Albers because Matt Albers was the spot start long man who was really capable back there. Mm-hmm. And until the bullpen burned out, he was the linchpin. And I, I think that Zach Britton has every chance of becoming the linchpin of this bullpen. All right, let me take this one. Uh, this is too early to say this season, but it's been a drum that I've been beating all season, uh, all seven games, and that is this. Matt Wieters has fixed his left-handing hitting issues. Everybody seemingly under the sun has beat up Matt Wieters to say he should give up batting left-handed. He should get up, give up switch hitting, just stay as a righty. His splits were terrible last year, but... Thus far this season, Matt Wieters has looked pretty good from the left side of the plate. Now, I mean, I know this is obnoxious to you, but I've been doing my best to tweet that out every time I see it because I feel like at the end of the season, he may very well end up at 220 as a left-handed hitter or something like that. But a lot of his power comes from the left side, as you saw from that home run today. And thus far, he has not been a miserable failure as a left-handed hitter. Home run yesterday, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was Sorry. like, if you would have one more to happen, great. But it didn't happen. <laughs> it all it all runs. It all together. blurs together, dude. Five day games in a row. I I can't handle it. Yeah. But so it's too early to say that Matt Wieters has fixed his left handed hitting. At the end of the season, he could be the same guy that we've seen the last two seasons. But for the time being, he's all right. He's all right. Three ninety one average. Darn good. Um. Other you know aspects of what people are saying is at two and zero on save opportunities. Tommy Hunter is the closer we need, and it is a good thing we got rid of Jim Johnson because he's terrible in Oakland. Yeah, maybe a little premature. Yeah, you think? You think it might be a little premature? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the aspect where Tommy will go boom, and it will happen, and then people to go absolutely airship and say, oh, I knew Tommy Hunter wasn't going to be able to do it. Here's the thing. We've talked ad nauseum. The, The designated closer thing is stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid to have one guy that's designated a pitch in the ninth inning. It's just stupid. And this is coming from the guy that's not the sabermetrician among us. However, if you're going to have a ninth inning guy, could it not be somebody like Tommy Hunter who makes me incredibly nervous? I like guys that make you incredibly nervous. I know that you do, but I am not so fond of that. So thus far, I think it's too soon to say that Tommy Hunter is going to be fine. But he looks darn good so far. Yeah, yeah, first, the first save was a little dicey. Yeah. All right. Also, too soon to say I've beat him up in this podcast. It's too soon to say that the Orioles spent fifty million dollars on a pitcher they can't get through the sixth inning. Now, let me just ask you this: Isn't this the perfect example of reasons not to give a free agent pitcher a ton of money for over three years? That the Angelos regime has stuck, has clung to this entire time. No, this, what's wrong with giving that money away? Nothing, and especially because it's only two games. I'm going to give you another option. Ready, Freddie Garcia? No, no. So that's your option: is you could have gone out and spent for has Freddie Garcia be your pitcher instead of Abado Jimenez and spent a lot less money. It may not look very good in this past two games, but this is not what we're going to see all season, and it's certainly not what we're going to see over the four years of the Abaldo Jimenez contract. It is too early to say that this is a failed signing. Yeah, It's de- too early to say that he should go to the bullpen, which oh I've also seen. I can't believe someone would say that. <laughs> Crazy talk. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, but yeah, Birdland, things are not as bad as it seems, and they're not as good as they seem to for certain players. But you know what? There are certain players that are better than other players. I'd like to go and rehash last week and maybe rub it in somebody's face. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby, you sure do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, daddy, hey, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining bright, I... That's right, Jake. I am the winner this week. It's it's good to get started on the right path this week. You're so full of crap. You did not win this week. What? Scott, you did not win Fantasy Boss. You got the wrong music. It should be Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani. You're the boss. I won this week. No, you didn't. 
We specifically picked, picked pitches this week. Yeah, let me run through it for you. You picked Weeders, and I picked Hardy, all right? Right. I picked J.J. Hardy. He played in four games. He got 15 at-bats. He saw 66 pitches, which breaks down to a 4.4 average per at-bat. Next, you have Matt Weeders, who played in five games. He got 19 at-bats. He saw 70 pitches, which breaks down to a 3.68 per at-bat average. Now, if you need me to do the math for you, being the non-math guy, and break down 4.4 minus 3.68, you've got a problem, sir. I win. 70 pitches is greater than 66 pitches, and we talked about pitches last week as opposed to pitches per at-bat. If we picked pitches per at-bat, I would have probably gone with like a Nick Marcakis. Oh, you got to be crapping me. So you think that I was trying to say the number of pitches versus the number of pitches per at-bat. What, what two players have the same number of at-bats that you can compare apples to apples? Well, you can't. That's why you have to go with someone higher up in the lineup. You wouldn't take someone like Ryan Flaherty. He's going to be the number nine hole because he's going to see less pitches. Okay, well, first of all, our lineup was crap all week, so I picked somebody that I was actually expecting to be more patient at the plate, and I picked J.J. Hardy, who... In his limited at-bats, 15, which, by the way, is not that greatly different than 19, did show a lot of patience. Yeah, he showed a little bit more patience. Just just a tad, but still. No, 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 no. no. He, did, he didn't just show a little bit. He showed 4.4 to 3.68. In the limited sample size that we saw him in, he showed decent patience. But Matt Weiders has just been you know out there every single day, as opposed to J.J. Hardy, who's been on, on the D, on, not the DL, on the bench. So It's fantasy, boss. We're only going to have seven games every time, at most. It's a small sample size com- competition. Jake, it's okay. Matt Weiders saw more pitches. We had a discussion for pitches. I win this week. Oh, you are so full of crap. That is not, no. No, I refuse to acknowledge this victory. Okay, Jake, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to take the victory this week because I need it badly. And I'm going to give you an olive branch. I'm going to let you pick the stat for this week. All right, I'm going to say this. I'm only allowing this because I beat the pants off of you last year. Actually, I came back at the very end, if you remember correctly. But lost. It was like the 1989 Orioles, basically. (laughs) All right, so you're basically saying I can pick the uh, next category because why not? Yeah, exactly, why not? All right, so I'm going to say this carefully. You got to be specific here. If you want pitches per at bat, you need to say pitches per at bat. You can't just say pitches. (laughs) such a jerk <laughs> you knew damn well what i meant that's up for debate oh your your understanding is up for debate your, your lack of understanding is up for debate yes all right i'm going to say this carefully i'm going to to speak as clearly as possible i'm going to try to use as many small words as possible scott are you okay. with me i'm going to try this week's category is obp on base percentage oh okay i thought you're talking about orange and black or in purple, I thought you might be talking about OBP Apparel. You know, they've got a great website. You should go and visit them for their T-shirts, their apparel. They've got a great Maryland shirt. I don't know if you saw it, but it's just absolutely amazing. All right, I'm going to stop this whole uh, I'm going to stop this whole fantasy boss argument for just a second and, and say, can we talk about that Maryland shirt for a minute? Sure. So, uh, in in true OBP form, I'm going to make a confession. I'm an idiot. Obviously, that new shirt that came out, which I I thought was cool looking. Uh, when I saw it the first time, I didn't get the fact that it was in the shape of the state of Maryland. So I was like, okay, what? you know, the history lesson, I, all these numbers and, and stuff, why is it like this? And literally, I was looking at the screen, and I looked away, and then I looked back, and I got it. And I felt like an idiot. So it's like one of those mind-eye three-day puzzles where you like turn away, and you look back, and you're like, I see the dolphin. Yeah, except this time it was just me being stupid. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're finally admitting that you're stupid, but... Everybody go out there, buy a t-shirt from OBP Apparel. They've got discounts and everything right now up until uh, April 15th. Go buy a shirt. It's a great thing to wear to the ballpark. But I'm not talking, Scott, getting back to Fantasy Boss, about which player wears more OBP Apparel. Although that would be a great Fantasy Boss. uh, Maybe Adam Jones. I'm talking about on-base percentage. OBP. Which player has the highest OBP over the next week? You don't want to do like weighted on-base average or anything like that? I feel like I've been exceptionally clear this time. OBP. Okay. Well, who, now, are you, who are you going to take for OBP? Well, I, I, picked, I picked the category, so you get to go first. Um, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Crush. I'm going to take Chris Davis. You're going to take Chris Davis. Okay. I, myself, I'm going to take Nick Marcakis. Okay. Those, th- those are two very good choices. Um, you know, I'm glad that you took someone higher up in the lineup. They're both probably see a good amount of pitches, too. Now, is that pitches per at bat? Or just pitches. Yeah, we'll save that for week three, okay? All right. Um, you know, speaking of people who took pitches, you know, certain people 
did good. Some people did bad last week, and some people were just ugly. So let's rehash the week. All right, it's that time again. It is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Basically, in this segment, we break down who had a good week, who had a bad weekend, and whose week just made us embarrassed to be Orioles fan. Now, as is our custom, I'm going to go ahead and go first, and that's basically to let Scott get the last word for his ugly, because frankly, his rants, his indignation, his anger is superior to my own. So this week, my good for the week is going to be Matt Wieters. Now, there were a lot of flashy uh, performances that we saw this week, especially offensively, but I was really impressed with Matt Wieters. What he did with his 20 at-bats was was great. I mean, he got uh, eight hits. He drove in three RBIs. He hit a home run. He, uh, he had a really solid week, especially, as we noted, from the left side of the plate. So he's my good this week. All right. I'm very much in favor of Matt Wieters since he won me fantasy boss as well. Asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> My good for the week is going to go to Chris Tillman. A um, great start against, well, not great, but a start that got the Orioles to win against John Lester. A amazing start against Justin Verlander. Um, Verlander-esque, as Jake would like to put it. Um, Chris Tillman truly showing why he is the number one starter on this team and uh, why people can call him a certifiable ace. He shows the ability on occasion of the great pitcher that he truly is. So Chris Tillman... You're my good for the week. Can I give an honorable mention? Is that allowed? I'll, I'll make it allow. This will get rid of my asterisk that is on my fantasy ball. So continue. Never mind. I'll shut up. Yeah. My bad for the week is Jonathan Scope. Mm. Jonathan Scope fought hard uh, to make the club. Again, he did all that we asked him in spring training. But you and I wondered, was it going to be good enough? And so far, what we've seen from Jonathan Scope has not been good enough and 18 at bats has got the five hits he got a double today but i mean he's got a 111 average he's got a 168 or 167 on base percentage it's just he's not cutting it thus far he, he's been fine in the field and i've been impressed to the fact that he can play both second and third you know well enough but uh he, he's just not doing it. he got he got picked off at second base today uh you know he's been having trouble getting on base he's bad this week he's just bad my bad for the week is going to go to David Lowe, who is our leadoff hitter for most of the games over the past few weeks, our past, past week. And uh, he had a 105 average, a 190 on-base percentage. I'm going to pay close attention to that on-base percentage this week. Um, a 211 slugging and a 401 OPS. You know, that's really terrible from a leadoff position. But the other thing that really bothers me is that noodle arm throw he had earlier this week. You know, for as much as we talked about his defense, that was really disconcerting. He did make it up with a better play in defense with one of his arms, but to see that it's just, you know, I don't really like to see that aspect of one good play, one bad play, one good play, one bad play. If I'm putting him out there, I'm expecting exceptional defense. Dave Lowe is just looking like a quadruple a player at this time. Hey, but Dan Duquette says we're going to love him. Mm, okay. <laughs> Army said about that about spam as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. My ugly for this week it pains me to say, but it goes to Miguel Gonzalez. He had a terrible start in his first appearance in the 2014 season. Uh, he pitched 3.1 uh, innings, and he gave up seven earned runs. And he was just no mystery. Uh, you know, an 18.90 ERA. Uh, got hit around with nine hits. He walked a guy. He gave up two home runs. He was just ugly. He was just ugly. And, and the thing is, we've talked about, you know, is it time to give... Zach Britton to start. Is it time to pull up Kevin Gosman? Keep in mind, Miguel Gonzalez has options. Miguel Gonzalez won a spot in the rotation in the last two years, but can be sent to the minors. He can be sent to the pen. We need better for Miguel Gonzalez because when he's on, he is on. He's a pitcher you can trust in a big game, but he's got to do better than that. All right. My ugly is obvious to anyone that's watched this week, and it's got to be Ryan Flaherty. Ryan Flaherty is so horrible this week in terms of batting. He has no plate discipline. 
he is just absolutely horrible at the plate. Um, let's go through his, his his line really quickly. He had 21 at bats, eight of them for, were for strikeouts. His average is 048, 091 on base percentage, 048 slugging, and 139 OPS. You know, for the people, you know, Orioles Uncensored, I'm looking at you, who said that Ryan Flaherty was going to hit 20 home runs. He certainly doesn't look like he's going to hit 20 home runs. He certainly doesn't look like he's going to hit 20 doubles. He just doesn't, doesn't look like he's going to hit 20 hits this season. I'm going to also come back to opening day. Oh, he had a great play for defense there, but the same aspect was, you know, you come back and you look at him and he's had some really sloppy plays in the field as well. And just not being very, you know, free in there. You know, I don't care whether we call him flash or Mr. F. You know what? Actually he is Mr. F. He is a mentally blank female. That's how he's playing right now. Is he mentally blank female? Wow. Yeah. Is that what Mr. F stands for? Yeah, you don't watch Arrested Development? Uh, no. No, I don't. Yeah, it's a mentally, I don't want to say that word, female. I'm sorry, we found a word that you won't say on the podcast? There's certain words that I have an issue saying. Wow! Yeah, there's certain words I have an issue saying. So, Ryan Flaherty, you have lived up to your Mr. F designated designation. You are ugly. Okay. Yes, you win. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is the good and the bad and the ugly for this week. Again, each week we will break it down. Who is the good? Who is the bad? Who is the ugly? If you, uh, the listener, have thoughts about who had a good week, a bad week, an ugly week, if Scott or I screwed this up, you let us know. Tweet us out at Bird's Eye View Ball uh, on Twitter. Let us know on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash BEVcast. Send an email to contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Or, you know, carrier pigeon. Any of that works out just fine. Jake, I think it's time to blow the save. And uh, I guess the one thing I'm going to do to blow the save is, what's with all these day games? It's just really infuriating. This aspect of coming on Friday and saying, okay, we're going to have a day game, day game, day game. And then to come and have the Yankees opener on a day game. And then come back for another day game on Tuesday. And then finally have a night game on Wednesday and then leave, have an off day, and then come back on Friday and actually kind of get back to a normal schedule. You know, I'm okay with having a day game, but you also have to wonder of the Orioles constantly playing these day games over and over and over again. You know, players are creatures of habit. They like to play these night games. I really question the aspect of whether or not the Orioles psychologically are doing as well as they can based off the day-night routine. What do you think? I think it's not 1935. So we shouldn't be playing at Wrigley Field? We should be playing at dark? We should not be playing in the middle of the day all the time. Yeah. It's nighttime baseball. Major League Baseball, you're on notice. My boss is very upset with you. (laughs) (laughs) Scotty, it's a perfect save that you've just blown here. Do you have anything else with which we can ruin this podcast? Uh, No. All right. Well, in that case, Baltimore and beyond, I'm going to bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Go.